Blog Talk Radio. Priestess and the Cauldron, a podcast featuring Elvira Love and Phoenix LaFay, two out-of-the-room-closet professional witches with over 70 years' combined experience of making magic. This is a show on the LMC Radio Network. During each show, Elvira and Phoenix will help you create rituals, make spells, make potions, and much more besides. They'll spend time speaking about different goddesses from all over the world, paying attention to the ancient reverence of long-ago cultures and infusing it with a modern perspective. Elvira, Phoenix, take it away. Happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, obviously, as we are sitting here, <laughs> I'm sitting here pre-recording this to go tomorrow, which is the day after Thanksgiving, but we can't help but be festive with the idea that we are going to gorge yeah. ourselves on food and all. Right. So. <laughs> I know. I know. It's kind of like, you know, when I was married, um, the two, two first marriages, they were always families. There were like two sets of families. And so invariably I would have two dinners for the holidays. And it was the only time I actually loved it was my first husband was Finnish and they celebrated Christmas, Christmas Eve. So it was the only time I could actually fully be present at each one of these events rather than Okay, it's three o'clock. We gotta get going now. You know that kind of thing, and and try and not overindulge on one place and not have the other. So, but um, luckily, I you know have to say that life has gotten slower, and I don't have that kind of over uh, abundance of responsibility. So um, I'm right. just going to one. You know, and it's this afternoon, later in the afternoon, and it's just a very simple affair. It's kind of like, <gasps> so there's a part of me that's sad, but there's also a part of me that's happy because yeah. I don't have to, you know, go into all of that. And the only thing I'm really right. sad about is I'm not going to be with my daughter because usually when I first started going back after she got with the gentleman that became her husband, I go back at Thanksgiving. And um, Right. It was a it was a wonderful time. I mean, Christmas is a great time, and going back for the time with her, I will be doing. Uh, but it was interesting um, just to watch the family and her cook and do all these things. I was 
like, oh, my God, the generation has taken over. And, you know, I can just mm-hmm. look back on one of the elders. It was like, wow. So what are you doing for your for this wonderful festive day? Yeah, well, you know, um, going over to a family gathering. And um, some years we host and some years we don't. And this is a year we're not, uh, which is nice, you know, with the retail business. It's a little hectic leading up to and just after Thanksgiving, so it's nice to not have that responsibility. But um, I'm also mm-hmm. kind of over people right now. I've had enough of people lately. I've been very busy, and so I'm even though it's family, it feels like a lot of work. So I am planning on hiding with my nieces in a quiet room and playing games and watching TV <laughs> for as much of the day as possible. But we there did you have go. a Thanksgiving miracle today. We had, um, we, so I live, as I may have mentioned this before, who the heck knows, but we live in the suburbs and my front yard is very suburban. I live on a cul-de-sac and then my backyard is very uh, farmy. It's very uh, rural and there's literally farms behind us and we have a low fence in our backyard so we can see into the, the more uh, rural landscape and so it kind of tricks us into thinking we have a much bigger estate (laughs) than we do (laughs) than our tiny backyard but there's wild turkeys that live in our neighborhood and recently in the last few months they've been coming into the backyard they would come really close but not quite into the backyard and uh, now I know what all their calls sound like and this morning I was in bed and I heard their little um, plucking that they do to each other so I opened mm-hmm. the curtains just a little bit, and I scared them. I didn't mean to. I scared them, and a bunch of them flew up onto our roof. And so we had we had a flock of turkeys on the roof on Thanksgiving morning, and I felt like I ran through the house yelling at everyone, it's a Thanksgiving miracle. There are turkeys on the roof. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> I love that. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Well, hey, you know, that is a good sign. It is a good sign. We know turkeys and, and the symbology of it, but it's it's a, a turkey miracle. It truly is live turkeys, not yeah. eating, not dead and cooked turkeys. We, I live exactly. um, over on Streamside, which is off of Highway 12 and near the creek, San Jose Creek. Um, there was a, used to be prickets. Well, no, I mean, it was Callaway's. I'm sorry, it was Callaway's nursery, and then they closed down, and they had it sit there for a long time, and it was feral, and we had a bunch of turkeys. So we would, every Thanksgiving, because we'd host, because at that time my last husband and I were, you know, he's alive, and we would do all the fancy stuff, and the same thing. We'd have tons of turkeys coming around with the little turkeys. Little, you know, it was just so much fun, but not on our roof. That, I have to say, is special. Yeah. That is special. So... Mm. So we basically, you know, I think have it's actually good weather. I mean, it is chilly, and we're supposed to get a yeah. shitload of rain this weekend, which is another one of those like, well, we need the rain, but unfortunately, a shitload of rain means that all the places that have had the fires, they're now being all concerned about landslides because there's no vegetation to hold the soil in place. So, um, right. So good and bad, I know that um, it's kind of funny that with the rains and the winds the other night, 
um, a friend of mine, they went out to go to dinner, and they actually went to a place that they had a power outage, and they actually had a power outage because of the rain, <laughs> not because PG&E decided to turn anything off. So we are still yeah. plagued by blackouts of different kinds. But other than that, yeah. I mean, it is, it, it kind of, it makes me feel very much like we are in the beginnings of the winter time because it's cold. I mean, we I usually sit out on my front porch and we have breakfast, we have coffee, and, and, you know, the dogs run up and down the porch area that's enclosed and all that. And it was freaking too cold for that. I decided it was time we had to come in. And so it was like, okay, we are definitely hitting cold time. So, yeah. But um, well, I'm... I'm excited about cold because I like dress, you know, dressing in layers and stuff. It's always nice, but it just means we can't just put a little jacket out and run out and do our thing. We have to plan for it. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, wonderful. But other than that, it, you know, it looks like it's going to be a really nice day and, and people will have a nice time and, you know, interesting enough. They were having a problem with wind in um, New York to actually fly the balloons at the Macy's Day Parade, but they, mm. I guess it was, they lowered them down. So touching base with coastal areas. So our our um, subject, our goddess, is um, Frigga yeah. or Frigga. And I was having a marvelous discussion with you before going, I'm confused between Freya or Frigga and Freya. So I'm going to turn this over to you to start unconfusing me and maybe the rest of our listeners about who these two goddesses are and and kind of get a feel of what Frigga is versus Freya. Yeah, I think that, you know, this one is a little confusing and complicated Um, you know not that they all aren't but you know we sort of uh, modern practitioners modern um, pagans which is whatever we have an opinion or information on these goddesses that is historic sort of because you know mm-hmm. history was written by the victor and not always the people who were the actual worshipers or practitioners of something so it all has to be taken with a grain of salt but we sort of lump the Scandinavian deities into one umbrella which mm-hmm. is understandable but it's actually much more complicated than that and what we know of the Scandinavian is only one very small piece of the puzzle uh, you know, we think of Scandinavian as, as, you know, Finland and Sweden and Norway and maybe even Denmark and Iceland and those sort of countries way up there. Uh, but the Germanic gods who were over a wide swath of Europe, the Germanic gods are also part of the Scandinavian pantheon. And actually Finland has a whole other set of mythology and folklore that is vastly different than anything that we might know as Scandinavian. So it, it, you know, we, you could even say that what is Finnish was probably bigger than that at one point. So we have to take it all with a grain of salt and just understand that what we know now 
is not the origins and it's not how it once would have been. But the Germanic deities include the Norse gods in a lot of respects. And so it gets really muddy because what we, you know, we think of the, this goddess being this specific way and that god being that specific way. But if you look at the different regions, they would have been worshipped differently. Uh, and depending on the microclimates or the main food sources or how those people lived, whether they were farmers or warriors or pillagers or whatever, the gods would have shown up differently. And so we always have to remember that. And Frigga is one of those really complicated ones. And I've heard it pronounced Frigga or Frigg or even Frige or Frigia. Uh, and I think, again, that depends on location. But Frigga is mm-hmm. actually Germanic. Um, and mm-hmm. she's been placed into Norse mythology. She's been... Um, She's been co-opted, I suppose you could say, by Norse mythology. And she's been turned into like the counterpart of Freya. And in some mythology, and some folks, even modern folks, believe that Freya is the wife of Odin. And Freya is both the goddess of fertility and a warrior and the goddess of the household. But, um, and maybe once upon a time that was true. But what we now see are these two very distinct goddesses, one being more Freya, who we associate with fertility and warriorship and all, all these other things, the, the head of the Valkyries, really. And then we have Frigga, who is in charge of the household and household duties and wifely duties and sewing and spinning and weaving and all of these things that have been sort of relegated to the woman's class. And even Mm -hmm. just take another minute, because I know I've been going off for a minute here, but even if we look at, so these two goddesses, we have to hold as separate entities and we might play with the concept that once a time, once upon a time they were the same deity and that there may have been multiple layers here because there's even an older goddess named Frisia who may have been, a whole separate entity or both of them. And there's a whole other goddess called Gilfang who could have who people also believe is the origins of Freya. So it's really freaking complicated. But what we can mm-hmm. see is that women's roles evolved and changed as culture evolved and changed. And at one point in time women in these older cultures were equal. They had the same rights as men. They were warriors. They were allowed to divorce. They were allowed to own property. There was no differentiation based on gender. And then that slowly started to change. In my opinion, and again, I do not have a degree. I do not have any, (laughs) I don't have any legal rights (laughs) to say what I want to say. There you go. Yeah, but in my, you know, humble opinion, when the uh, Aesir invaded, which is a really strong word, mm-hmm. but when there were the old gods, and there, we call them the Vanir, and then there's the new gods, and we call them the Aesir, and they warred with each other for thousands of years. And finally, instead of them continuing the battle because they knew there was no chance either of them was ever going to win, they exchanged tributes, and Freya and her father Njord and her brother Freya or Freyr all came and stayed with the Aesir, and the Aesir became the ruling class. 
And this is much like what we see in Greece. And everyone who's ever taken a class from me or if you've listened to the radio show, you've heard me make this correlation that if the same thing happened in Greece, we had the titans, the gods of nature, and then we had patriarchy come in with Odin, not Odin, Zeus and the gods of the Olympians, and it changed the landscape of culture. And that's what happened in the Germanic cultures and the Norse cultures and the Scandinavian cultures. This shift mm-hmm. came where there was an all-seeing sky father, and it changed the landscape. But women were in charge of magic. Women were in charge of, of seeing, of having sight. Uh, women were vulvas, which were priestesses who would travel and give prophecy. And this was women's work. Uh, and so Freya and Frigga are both relegated to this skill. They both possess power of this skill. And in uh, Scandinavian tales, Freya, not Frigga, Freya taught Odin these skills. So Odin possessed skills that were considered womanly and may have even been looked down upon, but Odin was the all-father, so of course he knew how to do everything. and He possessed all these amazing skills. But he had a wife, and, the, you know, Frigga is, except for being angry and vengeful like Hera is in Greek mythology, Hera and Frigga have a lot in common. Okay, I babbled for a while. I could keep going, but I'll pause and breathe. And see if you want to add anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated. Actually, you've been very um, enlightening about the process because I am not as familiar with the Nordic Germanic gods and goddesses. I am, obviously, that's because my heritage goes with either the Scotch, the English, the Irish, um, and then you throw, which has Celtic dynamics but they're very specific to the isles and then we talk about the mediterranean and you know that area greece and italy and stuff so sometimes when i i connect with this energy and we we decide on a goddess or a god i'm like okay i really in uncharted waters here and this is very helpful because Mm -hmm. obviously when i started looking up information and trying to get a feel I kept getting this double process, and I understand that melding of the two was because the territories became um, geographically connected because of wars and takeovers and, you know, all the stuff that goes on with that. So for me, I'm, I'm like, oh, this is, this is really great. This helps me. Um, and, you know, Talking about, I will probably call it Harfriga, um, mostly, is that she is, you know, the custodian of the ancient wisdom and, you know, the the universal mother and powerful and wise. And she, she, she at least, in terms of what I felt I got as information, gave me that sense that she was the the, the matron energy of the process Mm -hmm. not that she didn't have power and you know wielding whatever she needed to wield because i think that was part of the way um goddesses were portrayed they weren't wimpy in the in the dramatic and um, nordic right uh, they were not wimpy um no even before the 
male god takeover. They kind of, they, you know, they were very, and they didn't change. I mean, they, they modified. So she, she is one who is a mother and sacrifices herself in different ways, but she also, and devious too, um, but she comes up in a, in a way that I kind of went, whoa, because to me that was, uh, she's very, um, and it's interesting. I know I was going to say something, but I got caught off guard. There is a statue that is actually at um, your store, Milk and Honey, of her. And mm-hmm. it was when I saw her, it was like, whoa. Because to me, I kind of had a feeling that she was a little bit harsher, but she comes across mm-hmm. as feminine and yet strong and I was really taken by that particular statue because it embodied what I was trying to look at and say who are you and I guess Mm -hmm. that's where I will leave my little statement of of all that because obviously you know she's part of I would say that and this is a this you may you know argue with me and that's good um but she would tend to make me think she's more of that spring summer energy um, mm-hmm. the fertility kind of process. So that's my my have of the of the information. I know that you know there are other things that we can discuss about her. You know the myth of her and her son Baldor, and I think that will be yeah. you know we can we can go on and um, yeah. What else? Yeah. So um, yeah. Anything more we want to throw out? I mean, she was definitely the wife of, of Odin and you know, protected her son, mm-hmm. Baldur, and I understand all that. And there's, there's stuff we can talk about. But um, ultimately... Yeah, I mean, there is a she, lot of... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go on. Go on. I was just trying to get a thought out, and I didn't have it, so don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a lot of crossover uh between just to kind of go back to the Freya Frigga thing because I think mm-hmm. it's really hard to talk about like it's it's easy to talk about Freya especially because she's become this power unto herself and she's got lots of modern practitioners who are into her she's a very popular all of those goddesses that are like sex and war they tend to be very popular <laughs> um, and why do and we just, think that's I, the truth it's still so, to this day it is true. Ah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's what yeah. I mean. I mean today. Absolutely. Um, but And I've met people who are devotees of Frigga, so that it's not like she doesn't have her following. She absolutely does. But it is easier to talk about Freya because there's more that's been written down. Uh, even in some of the Scandinavian lore that we have, there's not much said about Frigga except, you know, she's the wife and mother. Uh, but in Germanic culture there is a lot more about Frigga and and some of those stories have been given to Freya or um, contributed to Freya's mythology uh, and I feel to me and this is per, totally personally my experience uh, and I, I am my ethnicity is Germanic and Scandinavian at least part of my ethnicity is and when I when I connect with these goddesses and when I've worked with these goddesses I get this distinct land connection that is vastly different. Again, this is so personal, so I don't expect anyone to completely agree with this. But when I connect to Freya, I get north, you know, the 
what the heck are those ice sheets called? Like full on Norway in the fjords. Mm-hmm. That's the word I was looking for. Like, you know, frozen warriors, furs, like Viking energy, right? And when I connect to Frigg, mm-hmm. it feels more Germanic. It feels more landmass. It it feels more home and hearth. And um, and I get that that's a lot of what their modern energies are. But when I when I hold them, when I work with them, when I connect with them, they feel like they belong in different places. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know, take that as you will. But but both of their names translate as lady. Looking at the different ways that you can translate them, uh, mm-hmm. so you know there there is a lot in common there. And one of the ways that you might translate Frigg is beloved, where Freya is lady, right? So this mm-hmm. is another interesting differentiation when you look at translations of their name, uh, and lady was a title as well. So we can also, there are, there are some folks who believe that Freya would have been a title for a priestess or a specific vulva, right, which is V-O-L-V-A, which, yes, refers to, uh, it's the same sounding word as female genitalia. That's not what we're talking about. It's a vastly different thing. Uh, but they were <laughs> the priestesses who divined and did healing and all that that could have potentially been a title for certain women where beloved sort of gives this idea of a relationship goddess, uh, one who is the wife of one who almost is second to, which I don't care for, but um, you know, it's something to keep in mind and to remember when you do start to work with these goddesses. Right. And she is definitely, um, she has, as I said, a softer feel. Not that she's wimpy, just softer than Freya right. in many ways. Interesting is that, and you can, you know, bring out, is that they talk about her being dressed in falcon robes and plumage and yeah. um, that kind of energy, which, you know, to me, falcons are fast. And um, they can change directions quickly. They uh, fly high, obviously, have, you know, viewpoint of, of a bigger nature. But the fact that it was bird-like, and Freya has boars and cats and, you know, so very different feel um, in terms of, of animal, uh, working with the animal energy, but also where she was related to, how she was seen uh, in terms of that, and I kind of was, wow, this is different. I mean, I know we have other goddesses and other pantheons with, you know, birds and stuff and all, but this was, mm-hmm. for me, I didn't think of it that way because I've always seen, again, we're talking Freya, you know, the cat-drawn chariot, the the boars, you know, those whole things, whereas this was a little different in terms of the visualizations that they, and associations, so. Right. But um, yeah, and I do have a question actually for you because I I noticed that they also talk speaking of chariots that she was associated with chariots, her chariot drawn by rams, which mm-hmm. is that because of the the um, uh, fertility process? That's the male energy of the fertility process. 
It could be. I honestly don't know. Uh, you know, the the Norse, got, especially goddesses, uh, being having chariots, like that's not an unusual thing, but they were, you know, like you said, Freya's was pulled by cats and Freya's was pulled by goats. So there's, there is definitely a connection to that, like what that animal represents. Um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we could also look at what, what does goat represent, right? Like goats feature large in Norse mythology. There's lots of different magical goats that can do magical things, but goats are a source of sustenance, right? They were used for their meat. They were, we, uh, these cultures use their cheese, their milk. Uh, goats don't make cheese, but they make milk, and then humans make cheese. <laughs> I just wanted to be clear that I do understand. <laughs> well, I'd like that. to think that they actually um, make the cheese, and we wouldn't have to worry. <laughs> <laughs> but there are many magical goats who uh, who you can get mead out of their udders, or you kill them and they're reborn the next day, and so they are this symbol of sustenance and. Um, magical sustenance right so there is also something about Mm -hmm. that if she is the goddess of the homestead the goddess of the household and she's connected to goats that is about feeding and taking care of and having enough and sustainability and all of that kind of thing so you know there is something interesting about the um the polarity the the gender polarity and the the energetic polarity of what that could represent but i think it also might have to do with with just being running a household and what's required for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just to, to yeah. be clear so that somebody, I originally said rams, it was officially goats. Um, I can't read my own handwriting. How disgusting is that? So, <laughs> <laughs> and you picked it, you, you just, you just went right into it and I'm like, this is good. I mean, we didn't even have to worry well, about and the fact I that be, I had could to be rams. I could totally oh, be wrong. Okay. I don't know. Now, I, now I'm trying to look through my notes and see if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. and I can't find it. Because I'm sitting here going, well, I can't read my handwriting, and it sort of looked like Ram, so I guess that was, well, it's okay. See, this is good. We we come up with small controversial points of reference as to where we get our information <laughs> and how, which just proves that information about spirituality and the, the especially gods and goddesses, are varied and sometimes even contradictory because, as we've talked mm-hmm. before, they take the energies of these these deities and as things get more and more um, evolved into groups instead of local little towns or villages or whatever, and you start making it into bigger areas, whether they're kingdoms or or countries or whatever, they try to generalize, so they put a bunch of stuff together, and sometimes it's, you know, not exactly the most logical way to do it. So we do get contradictions because of that. But um, anyway, I just wanted to bring that out so that in case anyone said, well, someone said this and they said that, it's because, A, I couldn't read my handwriting, which is definitely more doctoral than anything else because it's scribbled. And or it could just be because there are two different versions that it's part of that same energy, but not necessarily rams as goats. But that whole process is yeah, and to it, be you know clear. what? And it could be it could be rams too. Now that I'm thinking about it, and I still can't find in my notes because she is the goddess of spinning and connected to wool, 
And so, you know, there you go. Like there's the connection to rams and sheep and, and all of that fun stuff. And, uh, you know, she's the sky goddess as the wife of Odin, who's the sky father. Mm-hmm. And, um, and part of her spinning and working with wool, she was also believed to control the weather and the clouds and the formation of the clouds. Uh, so right. there's this, and again, there's this interesting thing with her. Um, she could create she, uh, wool out of clouds, and she could also turn wool into clouds, right? There's weather wow. magic here, too. So it could be rams. I'm still trying to find in my notes with, if I'm wrong. But there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we can at this very moment. She took the clouds. Let me just finish that thought. Go ahead. She took the clouds and and made clothes for the other deities out of them. So there's an interesting, um, another correlation to being of the of the sky of the clouds and being clothed right. in in the sky. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we might want to take our break right now, and uh, then we will yeah. come back and maybe talk about. The, the whole process of the myth with Baldor and her, her son, Baldor, and what that all was. Yeah. Yeah, and we should probably also touch base on um, hospitality. Okay. That sounds good. There. So, all right. We'll be right back. We'll... Okie doke. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. That was wonderful. Yes. <laughs> so, why don't we do this? Go with the um, hospitality, since it sort of flows into this day, which is, you know, one of festivity and family and, you know, Thanksgiving. And, and even though this today is more a holiday designed around this continent and this particular country and the dynamic of that, it still flows within the, the concept of harvesting and ending the, the harvest time, et cetera. But hospitality, go for it, my dear. Yeah, hospitality is uh, a really big deal in Norse tradition, both anciently and modern practitioners of these sort of reconstructionist systems of, of Norse or Scandinavian tradition. Uh, and Frigga is, as the, the 
uh, goddess of the household, the, the the wife of Odin, you know, the the one who holds down the domestic systems, is also the goddess of hospitality. So it was important if someone came to your home that you offer them food and drink right away. Uh, it was a show of good faith, and it was a show that someone who had entered your home that uh, they were safe with you and that because you had given them food and drink, you were safe with them. There was, uh, you know, it was basic um, hospitality. And it was the mm-hmm. rule of law. If you were traveling and someone offered you a place to stay and you exchanged food and drink, that you meant them no harm and they meant you no harm. Uh, and that's a really big mm-hmm. deal. So there's often images of Frigga holding a horn, right? Because, you know, the, this old idea of the Norse drinking from horns, that's, that's legit. Uh, but she would offer mead to the guests who would enter Odin's Hall. And so she's become a representation of that hospitality and what it means to be hospitable to your guests. Um, mm-hmm. And many of the people I know who modernly who work with Frigga also hold this role in their communities as the, the sort of um, greeter, right? The, the sacred... Mm-hmm. Um, what does that person do who works at a restaurant? Hostess. That's the word I'm looking for. The sacred hostess to make sure everyone's mm-hmm. needs are met and that they're comfortable and all of that. So that's another thing attributed to Frigga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and when you say that, and I think of the, the uh, dynamics that we've talked about in other uh, Nordic gods and goddesses, the idea that when that happens, it becomes a sacred bond that you have you've set aside your difference. You offered them the sacredness of your, your place, the hospitality of your um, castle, your home, whatever, and you would be exempt from being harmed. And there's a lot of... Um, stories that uh, have right. come out of that in terms of the different gods, the different goddesses, and just in general, uh, you know, just like they would do in Greece, they'd have plays, different stories that were told of, of people who they couldn't do anything to this person, even though they may have been a bad person, because mm-hmm. they thought them to be offered hospitality, and so they couldn't until they, of course, were not there, and, it, you know, right. so there was a bunch of different levels of uh, myths and stories that they brought out in that. So, and I don't know if that is true as much in the Greek and Mediterranean ones. I'm, I'm trying to go back and think about the idea that they were offered hospitality in that way. And it made it, you know, they didn't kill their, their host or their hostess, but I can't really connect with any particular, um, structure on that so I'll have to you know yeah do some research on it but I know it's very strong in the, mm-hmm. the Nordic and the Germanic areas very strong so right but um, and I know that the, there was the other thing that is very is the magical symbol of the distaff which is of course the, the staff that is the spinning staff and that is part of her Frigga's I don't know icon for her, you know, in terms right. of that. Right. So um, 
which goes, you know, the thread of of life, birth. She's part of the, in a in a distant way, then she would also be part of the, the spinning of one's life. And I don't know if this is something right. that is strongly in her her ballywick or myth uh, area, but I can see where it can be taken in terms of that. So, yeah. And um, I'm just looking at my notes quickly, trying to to catch, um, because I know there's the, and this is where I'm going to get confused, Um, Baldor is her son, and she loved Mm -hmm. him a great deal, okay? And you're really good at telling the stories. I know that because I've sat through your goddess gatherings, and (laughs) this is your gift. so if you want to go with that, we can go with that and see what else we can come out of the, the particular, because I know there's another myth or story of um, two brothers and what mm-hmm. happened between them, which I think is sort of woven into Baldor as well, but I'll let you go for yeah, it. Yeah, it gets a little muddy, yeah. Yes. Uh, so as I know <laughs> it, and there are, yeah, there are lots of versions of this story, but uh Odin had two sons. The first is Thor, and Frigga is not Thor's mother. And the second is Baldur, which is Frigga's son. So Frigga's, I think Frigga has other children. I actually can't remember, and I'm not going to look it up. So we're just going to say this: Baldur is the like the great shining god of Norse mythology. He, uh, and there's very little surviving stories about what he did as a god. His death is written about significantly. Um, it is the his death is the beginning of Ragnarok, which is the end of the world as we know it. Uh, and so mm-hmm. all of the Norse gods sort of lived in this fear, knowing that the, even though they were immortal and they were deities, their reign would end, and it would be that ending would begin with the death of Baldur. And this was prophesized from the time Frigga was pregnant with him. So when she, when he was born, this perfect shining being, she did all sorts of magic to prevent him and make him basically impenetrable. She did all kinds of magic that, that he couldn't be poisoned, that he couldn't be stabbed, that he couldn't be drowned, he couldn't be set on fire, all of these things she did to protect this child. But the one thing she forgot, or in some stories she thought, that this one thing wasn't worth her time was she didn't um, protect him against mistletoe. And that mistletoe was his one weakness. Uh, And some folks knew that and some folks didn't. And of course the, the story goes, one of the versions was that the gods would make a game of doing cruel things to Balder because he was impenetrable and it couldn't hurt him or kill him. Uh, and so one day they were all throwing things at him, sticks or knives or arrows or whatever, and nothing was hurting him. It would all bounce off of him. And then one specific god, who it is believed was Loki in disguise, gave a arrow made of mistletoe to one of the deities. And in one version, it's a god named Holdor, who is the blind twin of Baldur. Who the hell knows if that's legit? But this god threw the mistletoe arrow at Baldur and it pierced him and he died. 
And he went to the underworld. Uh, and everyone was like, oh, shit, this is the beginning of Ragnarok. Crap, this isn't, this is bad. And Frigga, of course, is so distraught. And she tries to do everything she can to save uh, her son. She even goes as far as pleading with the goddess Hel, or Hela, who was the goddess of the underworld, to please let them bring Balder back. Uh, the, you know, we, we want mm-hmm. to save him. Please let us save him. And Hela said, okay, I'll let you do this. Well, I'll, I'll let you have Balder back, which Hell does not do. Hell does not give people back their lives. Uh, she said, I'll do it, but everyone on earth must cry for him. Everyone must, at the same time, must mourn for him. So uh, Frigga becomes devastatingly close. Everyone mourns for Balder. Everyone cries out for Balder. The whole world wept for Balder except one person uh, who is, again, believed to be Loki in disguise. And that was it. The, uh, and Hela is the daughter of Loki. Let's just be honest about that. So um, Baldur was not allowed to defeat death, and Ragnarok began, and the end of the gods was a thing. And some believe we are still in the moment of Ragnarok where um, the world is ending, basically. So that is the short version. There's lots of of little uh, twists and turns that can be told in different ways. Uh, but mm-hmm. the most interesting thing about Balder is he was this perfect shining specimen who we don't know anything about his life. His life is a complete mystery. We don't know what he did or, or what. We know he lived in, in a shining place. That is what some modern practitioners um, compare to heaven and nothing unclean or blemished could happen in that realm and the highest courts belonged there uh, but we don't know what the hell happened there because most people most of the other gods were not clean enough were not pure enough to even go to Baldur's realm uh, and all we know well, is that he died and yeah right wow yeah, so that gives you a, a point of reference that, you know, and it's interesting that, I mean, they talk about um, the different stories that they weave into Baldor and and the different mm-hmm. things that happen. And I don't know, I, I um, when you said the end, beginning of the end, you know, the, the Ragnarok process, I was like, we just had, you know, the, the various movies that Marvel and DC Comics and everybody put out and, you know, um, the concept that Ragnarok takes place and, and all that through the comic book versions of the process kind of wield a different point of reference. And, and I see where they take mm-hmm. it take from this myth that. So it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting. I, I, I'm fascinated by the creativity that these myths have done for millennia. We're not just talking yeah. about um, the Scandinavian history or the Germanic history of the deities of that. They have been retold in all versions to modern day, which just sort of amazes me that they right. can come up with that. So, yeah, but I, I'm, 
she's a god you know Freya is a goddess that has is interested me now after getting a little splash of what's going on um and I'm sure somewhere in there there's got to be you know some Germanic and Nordic and something because you know when the Celts came over to the British Isles and Ireland and all they didn't they they kind of brought their energies and their myths and of course the the way things come is, is somewhere along the line this actually means something but it's now I think instead of even being genetically related to these myths it's what does it speak to you as just as you said before when we talk to goddesses, what does this speak to you? Does this mean something to you? Is there something to interest you in moving forward with um, mm-hmm. working with this this particular deity? And, you know, does she have something to say? I mean, we get tapped, as you say, which I think is a cute way of talking about it, by different gods and goddesses um, at different times. Yeah. Uh, for different reasons. Yep. Sometimes they become permanent and sometimes they are for a specific time frame that you are in for your own particular development. So this isn't, forget, isn't a particular goddess that has appealed to me at all until I started reading and trying to get depth on her. And you've even explained some things that I've been like, what the hell am I doing here? Why is it kind of coming to me? Um, but she's she's fascinating, and I find her. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she's got a loyalty. She has a loyalty to her child, to her, you know, to the dynamics of who she is, the hospitality, the 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 goddess of fertility, the goddess of working with that energy. And it's not just that; it's creativity. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we're drawn to her, she may also be of a different nature, not just having babies, which is a good thing unto itself, but, Mm -hmm. you know, producing creative children that are different things, be it art or um, music or programs or who knows what. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued that we had her as an idea to do a show of, and I've been like, it's a mm-hmm. real learning lesson for me. So I thank you very much for, yeah. for pulling her in as a, a subject to, to discuss. Um, and you've done most yeah. of it because it, she's more familiar to you, I think. In yeah, way. yeah. To me, yeah. it was like, and I, I think if, if folks are feeling a call or feeling a connection with this goddess, a, a huge practice to start is uh, in spinning uh, or working with mm-hmm. wool. Uh, and and this is a thing that was relegated as women's work, and I'm using air quotes when I say women's work, um, for the last probably 2,000 years because of patriarchy and the overculture and the bullshit Christian paradigm that most of us have been living under. However, mm-hmm. there's a lot of myth and mystery and magic that goes into the process of taking wool and put, turning it into thread. And this is found in cultures, for the last 2000 years, this was, was a part of women's work. Yes. But it was also a way of working witchcraft within the dominant paradigm and not being found out for being a witch. So there are ways to work with spinning that, uh, evoke, uh, omen telling, um, speaking 
prophecy. Uh, it is also a way to weave magic literally into fabric. It is, and spinning is an amazing art. It is not easy. I've tried. <laughs> I once fancied that I would learn how to spin so I would could at least make a thread or, or yarn when the apocalypse came. And I am not good at it. It is very hard, and it requires a deft hand and patience and a rhythm that uh, takes time to develop. And once you develop that rhythm, it's like it's hypnotic, the rhythm of spinning. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you you feel an interest in Frigga and you're curious about working with her power, start there and develop that rhythm of spinning and see how that opens up your third eye and that, that eye of prophecy it will be quite interesting. I think that that's a, that's a really big door that could easily mm-hmm. be opened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I have a question uh, in terms of that. When you say spinning and creating mm-hmm. that, weaving would be part of it, would it not? Totally. Yarn magic. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. people who maybe don't weave, I mean, spinning and weaving are very intricate. There is, as you say, a pattern I, too, God bless us, goddess bless us all that we try, um, we get excited, and I didn't, it didn't work for me either. I had a little, you know, the whole thing, the, the staff and the whole little thing, and it never really panned out. But I found that I was really good at crocheting, which, though knitting was what I learned, I found that crocheting, and to me, that is the magical aspect. And when I say magical, it's both magical in formulating and creating those magical spells we want to do, but it's also um, scientifically known to balance your right and left hemispheres of your brain, so it it will present it with um, that side of the science process and why we, you know, and that's probably the same reason why spinning and weaving, it's part of that same dynamic of, of working yeah. The, the energies, but um, I would ask if that is that to me, I think is as magical as, and for some of us, easier to do than spinning or weaving. Um, I even have one of the hand looms. I mean, talk about we're not talking about the kids' looms. I'm talking about a real, honest to goodness, hand wood. You know, a, a standing wood loom. Fascinating. Nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is presently in my shed where it has stayed for. 13 years, I guess I'm never going to do that. Um, <laughs> but it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I haven't used it. I know. Actually, um, one of my loves uh, was a wood carver, a master wood carver, actually. And a few things he's car- he carved into some of my wood um, furniture, but he made this particular thing and then he basically carved my name and beautiful things at the at the base. So that's another reason why I won't get rid of it. It's more an art piece than it is a functional piece. So, But um, interesting is that I've never had it, but crocheting, I can, it's like, to me, that's my magic. So I guess the question okay. was, can this be part of it? And, and I guess, you know, as you answered, yes, it can. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, so other than that, I think we're, you know, I think 
this is, again, another one of those shows where when we get to a certain point, it's like find your way to, to communicate with this deity. Sit with her. You know, do 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 research. And, again, research is broad-based from book form to Internet, but invariably go with both sides of that kind of research and then, you know, connect with her on a, a personal level and see where she Absolutely. I do. So yep. anything else you want to share on, on this or, or whatever? No, I think we're good. I think that just, just about does it, you know, go out and, yeah. and read about her and, make her an altar and make space for her in your life and see where it leads. Yeah. Yeah. And next week we will be doing live. Yes. Live on Friday at our regular time, six o'clock Pacific coast time, what eight o'clock central time and nine o'clock Eastern time. It's going to be how to read for the new year ahead. Checked on it. Yeah. (laughs) So we have a, a plug, and then I will let you finish plugging since you have all the other things that we need to talk about for Ask the Witch, etc. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, nothing too earth-shattering. Well, I guess there is sort of a big thing that maybe we should just drop in for a minute, that our the time of our show is going to be changing in the new year. Um, and more details on that to come, but most of y'all listening aren't listening live anyway, so that won't really impact you. It just means our show will be available earlier in the day, so get ready for that. (laughs) That'll be fun and exciting. Uh, And, of course, we have um, lots of new fun content for the rest of the year, and then at the beginning of 2020, we will have an Ask a Witch episode, so make sure you... Uh, write in, go to our website, witchpriestesscauldron.com, with your questions or um, specific things that you might want us to address. And we will next year be taking calls on our Ask a Witch episode. So if you are interested in having a conversation with us where we can maybe dig a little bit deeper into your situation or you can give us your information or feedback on a topic or you could share your thoughts, all of these things will be fun. Let us know when you go to the website and fill out the little questionnaire that you are interested in being live on the show with us, and we will start that funness in 2020. Oh, yes. We're working on sort of getting things started in a different way. Um, Obviously, this is something we've been talking about between the two of us and doing some live episodes where we have pre uh, predetermined people that we are going to talk to is a good idea. I know that, um, mm-hmm. you know, the way of a lot of the, the uh, shows that are out there, whether they're on the Lucky Mojo radio network or others. So we'll just see how we function. We're good at conversing for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, um, as far as our new time is concerned, it will work, I think, because as you point out, a lot of people, our show being on a 
Friday, it tends to become interesting as far as listening live, but it'll be earlier, so maybe mm-hmm. some people will actually want to listen to it, you know, live on their lunch break, for all I know, and we'll see whether that yeah. works. But anyway, yeah. everybody have a wonderful, soon. yeah, a wonderful yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, we're going to be a day after when you hear us, but... Enjoy and be safe, and it looks like we're actually getting rolling of the uh, clouds for rain. I'm just sitting here in my living room looking out the window going, there's some clouds coming in, cloud cover. So hopefully it will all be safe for everyone, and um, have a wonderful, wonderful uh, Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on the radio next week. That's right. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Our podcast airs live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific and will be available for download. Questions or comments on this show or ideas for upcoming shows can be sent to our website, and that's at www.witchpriestesscauldron.com. Again, that's witchpriestesscauldron.com. On behalf of Elvira, Phoenix, Alan, and myself, Weon Raven, a big merry meet and merry part and merry meet again. Blessed be.